Good morning. My name is Spencer Brosen. I'm the other pastor here at St. Stephen's Church, and it is a blessing to be here with you today on this wet uh, September day as we gather together to explore God's Word and to grow deeper in love with Christ and deeper in connection to one another. This morning's text, um, well, let me just back up. We uh, kind of wrapped up a season of taking a look at some biblical figures um, from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. And today begins a, a new series, if you want to call it that, a new look. Um, we're taking a look at the vision statements of the church. If you were around, I think, in the 2010 era, time frame, you would have been here when that was revealed and is, has, is even a part of the architecture, a part of the uh, decoration of the life of the church. So we thought we, we would spend a few weeks exploring that with you as we continue to learn. We are still on a listening tour in the life of the church. Somebody asked me last week, so what are your plans to grow the church? And eventually I kind of settled on, I don't even know where I am, much less know where I'm going. So it was a fortune cookie saying, I know, but it's, it was very true. So today we're, we're continuing to learn, learn listen, and, and grow, and we thought rather than reflect on maybe what those, these statements meant 12 years ago or, or even longer when they began being knocked around, what they mean for us now and what they can mean for us in the future. So we begin with the first of those three, um, receive, and I, we're still, receive I have down as the first one. I'm still trying to remember which is next sometimes, but I, I'm going to say Ross, fill me in, man. What is it? Receive, reflect, and relay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that. And as you come into the sanctuary, you, if you've done it enough times, you probably don't see it anymore. But the word receive is over top of the door as you walk in. As you leave today, you'll go out with the word reflect over your head and, and down at least one wing as we go down towards Christian education areas. Uh, particularly with our kids, you see relay. So um, we'll take a look at each of those over, well, over the next three weeks. Our passage today is, at least the one we'll start with, is in John chapter 3. Uh, one of those verses is quite familiar. At least the, the, not, the name John 3.16 is familiar. I don't know that everybody knows what that means, um, but you see the sign enough. But we're going to look at that in, in the next verse to start our, our talk on, on uh, receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All throughout Scripture, you may notice there's a, a, there are patterns with numbers. Uh, 40 is a number we see with knowing the ark, the days Jesus is in the wilderness. Um, seven is different places. Three is a very prevalent number, or at least the uh, three repetitions <clears throat> is a very prevalent uh, number throughout Scripture. In Hebrew, the number three means uh, complete. It means complete and good. So you see that in a lot of things. You see it in the, uh, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> One God, three persons. You see it 
Uh, you see the, the reverse of that, uh, even in the Trinity, the evil Trinity, as some call it, in the book of Revelation, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. But back to good things, <clears throat> you see it as the people of Israel refer to their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of Israel. They call themselves that. And while we don't know exactly how many magi they were, we do know how many gifts they brought. How many gifts did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and I'm just making sure you're awake. I know this is a good morning to stay in bed. It's dark. It's rainy. I know. And some of you are probably still in your PJs. Well, not those in the house. I don't think I see any PJs on. Just making sure we're awake. Last week, if you were with us, um, take a look at Jesus and Peter. And Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. And, and Peter's like, nah. How many times did Peter do it? Three times. And Jesus' invitation back in, um, in his forgiveness, asks him the question three times, do you love me? As a way of welcoming Peter back in and reminding Peter that he indeed does love Christ and that Christ acknowledges his love for him. And we, and we can go on, on and on about that. But in script, the threes in Scripture translate into our theology as well. We see it in different places of our theology. I've already mentioned God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see it in our Wesleyan theology as people of John Wesley and people of grace. Uh, Wesley understood grace as having three different aspects. It's not three different graces, just three different aspects or three different movements of grace. Um, prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. I'm going to come back to those if you have questions. So I'm going to come back to those. And the, it, it even applies to sometimes how we organize uh, our ministry together. Many churches organize under these three words, nurture, outreach, and worship. And you all, this church, uh, 12 years ago, organized under a three-word vision statement, to receive, to reflect, to relay. I didn't look at a thing. Did I get it right? I, got, I think so. All right. <clears throat> so again... For the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at those three words and really the, the ideas behind them and what they have to speak to us in our faith today and as it carries us forward. So the four of these, um, and it's nice there's a little bit underneath of each of these banners. If you just hear, receive Christ, reflect Christ, relay Christ, they're nice statements. You may not know everything that's meant by them. And and even a one-word statement may not do that, but it gets you closer. And the way that these were defined was that we receive Christ as the key to life, awake and alive, growing in knowledge and love of God. Reflect Christ as the catalyst for community, inclusive and engaged, igniting mission and service for all. And then relay Christ as the call for a new generation, convinced and committed, sharing faith, and hope with others. So today we're going to focus on receive Christ as the key to life. Um, <clears throat> and the life lived, uh, I, I would add, abundantly, as, as Mina mentioned with the kids earlier. So what, is that, what does it mean to receive Christ? Mina's done a lot of prep work with, for me, and I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, what does it mean, mean to receive Christ? Hopefully you're already thinking about it. What, is that, what does that mean? And the passage we began with today doesn't mention receiving Christ. But to receive Christ, we have to acknowledge who gave us Christ, right? The Father gave us the Son. And acknowledging that 
that Jesus comes from the Father and not to condemn us, not to, um, but to save us. He comes to save us. And as we receive him, um, we acknowledge that and welcome Jesus into our lives. And more so, <clears throat> and even more so, to, become, to join our lives to his life. Um, sometimes when we hear that word receive and receive Christ, we might be um, tempted to say, to kind of receive it as a, as a my thing. It's mine. I'm holding on to it. It's a, you get a gift. It's yours. And as we get a gift, we do draw it in and hold it close and look at it. Um, even if we don't like it, we will hold it close and look at it and say, thank you very much, hopefully, you know. But this is the best gift of all, of course. And we, and we receive it, and we do explore it. But we don't just hold on to it for ourselves. There's more to it, which is why there are two other banners in here. But in the book of John, if we back up a couple chapters, John does write about receiving Christ. In John chapter 1, and I'm just going to begin at the very first verse, um, because I, I, I love this whole passage. Um, but 11 and 12 is where we find uh, what it means to receive Christ, and as John explains it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. This is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. <clears throat> so that through, I call him John the Baptizer, by the way, sometimes, just to know that he doesn't belong to a certain denomination. It's nothing against the denomination. He's just not, doesn't belong to just them. He's ours too. So John the Baptizer is, sometimes I'll slip this, I'll say that. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John equates reception of Christ to belief in him. Now, the, the tricky thing here is to not simply make that a mental um, check. Yeah, all right, he existed in history. Good. It's deeper and it's more beautiful than that. But it's where we start. And as a result, we become... More than simply a part of God's creation, which we all are, but we become in name, we become adopted as children of God. And it's such a beautiful way of being welcomed into a family. <clears throat> so the different ways that we might receive Christ, the ways that we might encounter Christ, the ways that we might understand Christ, uh, head and heart, uh, in Wesleyan terms, this is, this is a little bit of a Wesleyan theological thing we're going to do this morning, but, I'll, but I, won't, I, won't, I won't use all my words I paid for at seminary, 
I'll just, I'll, I'll try to keep it safe. It's for me. It's just for, it's for me if for nobody else. But we talk about in terms of learning our faith and understanding our faith, and for me, that's a way of uh, receiving Christ, part of receiving Christ. We call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. We've moved on from threes to four here. Um, and, West, and the way that this is laid out, this isn't something that Wesley came, himself came up with. This is a professor, looked at the life and work of John Wesley, and, and looked at his life and said, this is how he developed his theology. He began with Scripture. Wesley was a man, he was called a man of one book. He read everything that he could get his hands on. He wrote lots of books. He wrote a bestseller on health that would get you put in the, you, you would not have a license. But anyway, it was a bestseller and read for like two centuries. But he considered himself a man of one book because regardless of everything else, the most important book was the Bible. So scripture is the foundation. If you made this a four-sided shape, it would not be a square. It would be I don't know, parallelogram. And I'm getting into to geometry, I'm sorry. But, it's, it, but the scripture is the foundation and it is um, essential and central. From there we go to tradition. The, there are things that have uh, been held true in the church for thousands of years that continue to be so. We see the, the history and the timeline of the church and, and history has continued to hold on to these things and, and we measure those things against scripture but we hold them, uh, at, at the, hold them as well at the same time. Then also tradition, inter, tra, uh, reason rather, interpretation and understanding and using our brains. We don't have to check our brains at the door. And the fourth is experience. And sometimes this gets understood as just everything I ex- experience um, teaches my faith. And this is not what was meant originally. Uh, what was meant was our experience of our faith, the experience of the, of the Holy Spirit particularly. Um, seeing the Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives and being um, renewed in our faith or pointed in a particular direction. So all these things feed our understanding of our faith. And these are aspects of receiving faith. So we're starting with kind of our head, the head stuff. Um, but there's also the heart stuff. Experience is definitely heart, a heart thing. And scripture sometimes can be, all of these can be hard things as we try to connect both head and heart and and understanding and living our faith as we continue to receive Christ. And Wesley also in other parts of his teaching and it goes back to those three ways of understanding grace. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. It's encountering God's, uh, he defined it as God's bounty or favor is free, undeserved favor. Um, humanity having no claim to the least of God's mercies. Free grace that formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him a living soul and stamped on that soul the image of God, the divine image, and put all things under his feet. For there is nothing we are or have or do which we can deserve the least thing at God's hand. That's grace. And that, as defined as grace, is not, this is not the saving aspect of grace. This is not the becoming holier and holier, deeper and maturing in faith aspect of grace. This is the grace that we all live and breathe, regardless of where you are in faith, regardless if you embrace faith or not, or, uh, or Christian faith or not. God's grace is present everywhere because God's everywhere. God's just everywhere. It's not that he's just that big, he just is. 
And as God is, his grace is there. And because of God's grace, we are, open, we are able to experience scripture and tradition and reason and experience. We're able to encounter those things and interpret them as things of God. God opens our eyes to the things of faith. His grace allows us to do that. And that's the prevenient grace. Also, the prevenient grace is, is making a way for us. If you know um, at least the Latin foreign languages, uh, prevenient, the way I get to some of the confirmation students, if they've had Spanish or French yet, um, preven, venir in Spanish, I don't know the French, um, is to come. And pre is before. So the grace that comes before before we even know it, before we know God, before we accept Christ, before we encounter, um, before we receive Christ, encounter uh, the life, the abundant life that he offers us. And from there, we um, continue to walk in faith and grow in faith. And at some point in some day, we say yes to Jesus. And that's, that's a singular moment of receiving Christ. See, this receiving Christ isn't a one-time event. It's an ongoing lifestyle. We continuously wake up every morning and throughout our day. You may not, you know, have a moment where you say, yes, Jesus, but it's a way of living yes to Jesus, of receiving Christ once again, of living for and with Jesus once again. And at some point in our lives of faith, we say yes. And that's what he would say is justifying, uh, the justifying aspect of grace. Um, making it just as if I've never sinned. Uh, a youth came up with that one time in confirmation. We are justified just as if I'd never sinned in God's eyes. doesn't erase our sin, doesn't erase the circumstances that our sin may create in the world, but before God, it, we are made justified. And then the beautiful thing about our theology is, and, and the ongoing encounter of the risen Savior is that we're not done just when we say yes to Jesus. Just when we've, you know, at some point in time in our life, whether it was sitting in a pew or at a revival or in your car or in somebody's living room or outside, I don't know, in nature. I go, I can worship God in nature. Well, you, you got, there's, anyway, but you, you can worship God in nature, but that's the only place. Anyway, that's a little aside and I shouldn't have gone there because all you are going, what's he talking about? So let's go back. But as we continue to grow in grace and we've said yes to Jesus, we continue to say yes to Jesus and the thing that he does in our lives is continue to grow us and deepen us and that, that imprint of God's identity on us that happens at the moment of our, of our making. We are made, everyone is made in the image of God, whether they know it or not. But that image grows brighter the more we welcome Jesus into our hearts and into our lives and intentionally encounter him in, in different ways. Wesley would call those means of grace. I'm doing a lot of Wesley stuff today, and I, and I, I hope that's okay in a Methodist church that I go back to one of our founders. But um, I'm trying not, it's not seminary class, it's not confirmation class, but these are, I think these are important things that help to inform us. He talked about means of grace as ways of experiencing that love directly, God's favor directly. He called them outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed to the end that we might be experience God's preventing, justifying, and sanctifying graces. He talked about prevenient graces, preventing grace. That one gets a little bit harder to 
to explain, but that's why I wasn't going to say that, but I read a quote, and there it was. And we do that in all the ways in which we encounter. It's the church checklist, right? There's the churchy checklist. You, you go to worship, you pray, you read your Bible, you study your Bible, you, you, uh, you gather with others of Christian faith outside of worship, fellowship. It's not just a party. Fellowship isn't just eating and talking about whatever. Intentional Christian fellowship is talking about the things of faith. Um, and, and the communion and baptism are all means of God's grace. Baptism is a one-time expression of that but communion is an ongoing expression of that and they are the churchy things the churchy list things for a reason it's a it, there's a reason why those are the churchy checklist things you know are, are you spending time with God on purpose because the more time we spend with God on purpose the more we open ourselves up to receiving a, a, a greater degree of Christ's light shining into our lives the more time, and I do love the way that Wesley said, I've said this a few weeks ago, he doesn't simply say read the scripture, he says search it, search it, search God's word for God. Look at it, explore it, expect to meet God as you read scripture, expect to receive Christ as you read scripture, encountering God's living word for us. Worship. Worship isn't just, I've done the thing this week. You know, it's more than that. Did you know that this hour that we spend together each week is practice for heaven? The only thing that it talks about us doing in heaven is worship. Now, it's not going to look like this. They're going to say, I can't do this forever. I can't do this forever. But worship is what we're going to do. Now, it's going to be more than just this. Okay, some of you are going, I don't know that I signed up for that. It's better. It's much better. It's much better than what we could ever produce here. But worship is practice for eternity. Um, but it's also a way of encountering God. When we come together on purpose to express our love for God, um, to sing His praise, to lift our prayers together, to explore His Word together, while God is always he everywhere, God's always here, there's something about God being made known in a space that we can't experience on our own, that we can't experience by ourselves, even out in nature, on a beautiful day. And when we embrace those things of God and we embrace those ways of, of receiving Christ, of experiencing God's grace, our lives indeed do become abundant, as Minu mentioned with the kids. That abundant life that Jesus offers us isn't about stuff. It's not about things that we can count or put in a box and, and, and never look to see again, maybe. It's about a richness, a vibrancy of living. And back to John, John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's central to his purpose, to his role. Key to life, abundant life. And that means a life that's purposeful. It's intentional it's a life that sees that our purpose is greater than our own it answers that question what is what is the purpose what is my purpose my purpose is to live for jesus now then if you need to get specific then there's other things but in general our life is to live for jesus 
That becomes the point of life. And it's more than just doing the Bible check or the church checklist. It's about living for Jesus and saying yes to him every day. It's about saying yes to whatever call that he may place in our lives. And as this church laid out uh, this, this vision statement 12 years ago, that abundant life is reflected once as we continue to live and receive Christ, we begin to reflect him. More and more and more and more and more in our lives, in our church, and in our community. We, we continue to relay him to the next generation, also to this generation who doesn't know him yet. Jesus continues to, to reach out to us. God is continuously giving his son. Yes, he gave him as an event in history, as a person who lived, died, and rose again. But God is continuously offering his son to us. Even as we have received him, we still get that offer of Christ into our lives. And as we receive him, we are renewed, we are re, um, reinvigorated, we are revived. See, I could do three words too. When we receive Christ, we become more than we are on our own. We become a part of something greater than ourselves. This earthly community of faith as well as a heavenly one. And as we continue to live in that, in that connection between uh, God and us and, and us together as a community of faith, whether we're present physically in this building or worshiping from, from afar, we continue to live for Christ and our lives become more and more abundant. So that then we might indeed reflect and relay that, uh, the word of Christ, the love of Christ to the world around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you gave us your son and we thank you for him. Thank you for his life. Not a simple life, not an easy life. But life that shows abundance itself. And invites us to join alongside it. And Lord, as we continue to explore faith and grow in faith, mature in faith, or even to consider saying yes for the first time to faith in Jesus Christ, help us to know that your grace continues to draw us closer. To help us to grow in you, to embrace you. And Lord, on this weekend, as we, on this day, as we remember the events of 21 years ago, a day of loss, of great loss, of pain for our country and, a, and pain that was felt around the world, even in the midst of that hardship and hurt. Your presence prevailed. And it continues to do so in all of life's hardships, hurts, pains. So Lord, even when the days are rainy and dark, help us to remember that your sun continues to shine, to offer light, to offer life full, meaningful, abundant 
And Lord, as we encounter your son once again, let us lift the prayer that he has taught and continues to teach his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.